while we hear the gospel. The gospel lesson is from the 14th chapter of the Gospel of Luke this morning. Have you ever had a guest at your table that told really good stories? That's what's happening in this gospel scene. Jesus has been invited to the table of a Pharisee, into the home, into the table. And while he's there, he tells this story. This is Luke chapter 14, beginning with verse 16. Then Jesus said to him, Someone gave a great dinner and invited many. At the time for the dinner, he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a piece of land and I must go out and see it. Please accept my regrets. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I am going to try them out. Please accept my regrets. And another said, I have just been married and therefore I cannot come. So the slave returned and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and said to his slave, Go out at once into the streets and lanes of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And the slave said, Sir, what you ordered has been done and there is still room. Then the master said to the slave, Go out to the roads and the lanes and compel people to come in so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those who were invited will taste my dinner. This is the story of God for the people of God. Would you say with me? Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. At the time that this parable was first heard, there were two steps to a proper dinner invitation. There was the invite, or what we might call the save the date. And then the second step was what we might call the dinner bell. Or dinner's ready, come eat. Is how we say it at my house. This parable takes place at the time of the dinner bell. So the servant is sent out to say, dinner's ready, y'all come. And he's met with excuses. This is a kingdom parable. And so the obvious place for me to put God is in the place of the host. And I show up as one of the invited guests. The thing about the invited guests, at least the first round of guests, is that they all offer an excuse. They all have an excuse for why they can't come. Now, I want to think on these excuses for just a minute. I've bought a piece of land, and I must go and see it. I've bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to try them out. Now, I don't know about you, but I have my doubts about people that would buy land or livestock without inspecting it? (laughs) Even in the first century, they would actually make a purchase sight unseen, then realize, hey, I need to go see what I bought. So my first thought about these invited guests is that they aren't very bright. But some say, some say that these three excuses are a nod to Deuteronomy chapter 20. And Deuteronomy chapter 20 gives three reasons why you wouldn't participate in a holy war. You wouldn't participate in a holy war if you were building a new house or planting a vineyard or getting married. So it's not an exact fit, but it almost lines up. And if that's true, then the invited guests, their excuses are proof that they are sacrificing their lives already for something that's valued by the community, for family, 
for farming, for homestead. Those are good things. We could even say that these excuses that are given, they aren't terrible. They're not horrible excuses, the worn out kind like, I was stuck in traffic, so I can't get there. My alarm clock didn't go off, so I won't be able to come. The dog ate my homework. Thank goodness nobody says those worn out kind of excuses. But the thing about an excuse, the thing about an excuse is that it reveals a priority. Half of my family made it to the Ash Wednesday service this week. The other half said that they couldn't get there because they had a basketball game. So in my family, that's completely acceptable. Basketball is a priority in our home. The elders have agreed upon this. And so the excuse for half of the family just revealed the priority. Basketball is a priority. On Monday of this week, my middle child didn't make it to her morning classes at the high school because she got in at midnight the night before from a school-sponsored trip. And sleep is a priority in my house. My children sometimes call me the sleep Nazi because I am continually hounding them to go to bed. So that excuse, I didn't go to my morning classes because I was sleeping, was completely acceptable. And it revealed the priority in our house of sleep. Whatever the excuse is that you hear yourself offering... Recognize that it reveals a priority. So the question then to ask is, is the priority who I want to be? The excuse that you offer, the excuse that comes out of your mouth, is simply a clue. It's simply a clue to who you are. It's a clue to identity, to how you're showing up in the world. In this parable, the invitees are getting their priorities botched up. The excuses are decent. The excuses are good. But the banquet is better. And so what I hear in this parable is drop what is good for the better. Don't get entangled by good things that distract you from the best, from being fed at the kingdom banquet. One of the reasons that I love the writing of theologian Henry Nouwen is that in his life, he really did drop what was good for what was better. Nowen was a well-loved religion professor at both Harvard and Yale. He packed the classroom. On one occasion, so many people sat in his lecture room and that they spilled out into the hallway, and so he promised to give an encore lecture to those who would give up their seats. And those who left and returned the next night for the encore found that the auditorium was filled to capacity again. Yet at one point during those years when he was teaching, he wrote, If the people who so admire me could know me in my innermost self, would they still love me? And so he decided to change his life in such a way he would allow himself to settle into his own belovedness. And for him, that meant leaving Harvard and going to live at L'Arche. L'Arche is a community for people with intellectual disabilities. It's a community that seeks to enact the idea that every person brings value to a group. 
And so when Nowen left Harvard and he moved to Larsh, he became a direct care assistant for a young man named Adam who could not move or speak for himself. And Nowen described the community where he lived as a place of celebration, of sharing human vulnerabilities, and a place of invitation to let Jesus be the center of everything. Nowen's description of his community matches what I see as the gospel description of the banquet table. Pastor Scott Hare told me this week about a friend of his who doesn't have an altar in the space where he leads worship because his claim is that the altar sits in the middle of every person's home. It's the place where we share meals together. It's the place of celebration, the place where we welcome strangers, the place where we share vulnerabilities. It's the kitchen table. I want to invite you this morning to settle in to the table and the excellent things that it has to offer to every one of us. A part of settling into the table, I believe, involves accepting how truly routine and ordinary a table is. It's true that we all have to eat to live, right? (laughs) If you're alive, if you're here and you're breathing this morning, you've eaten at a table before. I I can almost bet on it. And at some point, you didn't feed yourself, right? Somebody had to feed you. You have to eat to live, and I bet... Since it's 1137, you've probably already eaten today. You've probably already been to a table. And if you haven't, then I can guarantee one of the things you're thinking about is not my sermon, but where you're going to eat when you leave here. The table is central to our daily lives, and it is central to Christian worship. Eugene Peterson says that modern American Christians are called to drop what he calls religious consumerism, what I'm going to call the desire to just be spiritually wowed. Peterson claims that we as Christians no longer have an appreciation for, for just a patient acquisition of virtue. The table represents one of those places where we can patiently acquire Virtue. It is a place of spiritual discipline. Instead, Peterson says that we, we seek a new personality. We seek a new truth. We seek a new experience to just wow us. And we call that religious. Those things, while they're not bad, they can entangle us. And I believe like the people in the parable are entangled by very good and impressive things. The desire to be wowed spiritually can entangle us as well from what's really good, from what's really simple, from what really nourishes us. That's the way of the table. And it is available in the church and it is available in your home as well. The way of the table is important for Luke. Eating and meals are a major theme in Luke's gospel. Virtually every chapter in this gospel contains some reference to the topic of eating together or of sharing a meal. 
In chapter 14 alone, which is where we found our parable for today, we have what Fred Craddock called four sections of material that are simply table talk. The setting is the home of a Pharisee, and the talk is who gets invited to the home, who gets invited to dinner, and then how do you sit at the table, what's the right way to be at the table, and then there's this parable. Table for Luke is serious stuff. Both the story of the Eucharist and the appearance of the risen Christ happen at a shared meal. And in Acts, the promise of the Holy Spirit occurs when the, when the disciples are gathered together at a table, at meal. And Peter's vision that brings the Jews and the Gentiles together to become the church is a vision of a table. It's a vision of a meal. When I was a first-year seminary student, uh, it was 1997, And I was invited to come and sit at the table with a man who was named Dr. James Fowler. Dr. Fowler was a bigwig in my world. (laughs) He had written a book called Stages of Faith. And that book was important to pastors. It was important to churches in the 1980s and 1990s. Now, this invitation, it didn't come because I was such a promising theologian. I know that's what you're thinking. That's not why I was invited. But I got the invitation to sit at the table with Dr. Fowler because we had a mutual friend that knew that I was married to a guy who liked to golf. And Dr. Fowler liked to golf. There was another guest at our table, a guy named Ken Ken, at that time, was in his his mid-50s, but when Ken was in his 20s, he was a professional golfer. But Ken was also an addict, and drugs and alcohol stole his professional golf career away from him. He had this story that Keith and I heard a few times over the course of our friendship about playing golf in San Antonio but also during that same trip being fished out of the downtown river of San Antonio by the police. (laughs) During our time in Atlanta, the three golfers became good friends. Ten years ago, when Ken's body was simply worn out and he died in the basement of his mother's home, I know that his mother called two people. I know that she called Dr. Fowler. And I know that she called Keith. What I have learned in my experience of sharing meals with other people is that big things happen at a table that is set for a diverse group of people. When you show up at a table, you vulnerably bring your life and other people show up at the table that way too. Big things happen. Our parable gives us a few guidelines for how to set the table, how to act when we're at a table. First, the parable says, and Jesus said to those who were in the room with him, don't seek honor when you go to the table, but instead give honor to other people who are there. So we don't come to a table thinking, what's in this for me? I hope that we're having my favorite meal, but instead we are mindful of other people and we're mindful of our relationships. If we want to imitate Christ's ways, 
than we do give of ourselves for other people. The Renovare podcast recently said that being open to God's ways in our lives means practicing submission. So instead of just putting that out there and saying practice submission, the suggestion was to practice the discipline of micro-submission. And I like that because it's just like little ways that you could submit to other people. I think I could do that. And when you're approaching a table, it would be things like get someone else a drink, set the table. It might be preparing a food that somebody else likes. That's micro-submission. And it reminds me simply that other people are just as valuable as I am, that every person has sacred worth. The table has multiple seats. When we approach a table, we are aware of other people. It's never just a banquet for one. It's never just a surprise party for one guest. But instead, a table rightfully set honors many. And I would suggest to you that when a table is set with honor, it's a good place for hard or even difficult discussions where we are seeking to understand one another, where we're not just seeking to be heard, but we're seeking to hear, that happens at an ordinary table. Closely related to the idea of giving honor is another idea that shows up in the parable, and that is to welcome a stranger. At our table, in our kitchen, that's when things really get interesting, when we have a guest. I become intensely aware of my insecurities and my vulnerabilities. My grandmother used to say, food that you cook yourself, it never tastes good to you. Everybody else at the table might say, this food is delicious, but when you put it in your mouth, it's just going to taste bland. And the other thing about having a guest in our home, when we have a guest in our home, somebody's going to misbehave. It's almost a guarantee that somebody in my house is going to misbehave, and a lot of times it's not the children. Having a stranger at the table seems to be a recipe for revelation. Remember the story, you can find it in Luke's Gospel, the story of Cleopas and Mary. After the crucifixion, they walk seven miles between Jerusalem and Emmaus with a stranger that they don't recognize. They invite him into their home, and it's when they sit at the table and they share a meal that their eyes are opened, and it is revealed to them that the stranger is the Lord. I believe that vulnerability is a really good stance for followers of Jesus. And so setting a place for someone who's new, someone who's a stranger, someone who's unknown to you, it always leads me to a new understanding. The last piece of instruction for for setting a table in your home is simply to show up. Just do it. Eat together at the table, not standing in the kitchen by the microwave. That's one of our favorite places in my kitchen. But sit down at the table. Value this very ordinary but sacred place in your homes, in restaurants, also in the church. Set it apart. This last week, On Monday of this last week, I had the opportunity to go to lunch with my mother and my sister and my cousin. My cousin was in town from Abilene, and so we all went to lunch together. And when the food was delivered to our table, my mom said, let me bless the food. 
because she's my mom, we let her do what she wants to do. And so we held hands and and we let her pray. And I, I can't really remember what she said in her prayer, but I remember thinking, well, I can't speak for the food, but I think I might be blessed. <laughs> my own self. I feel blessed. It was as if the perimeter of the table had been set a sacred space. We set time apart from our busy lives to just show up there with one another, to hear from one another. And I wouldn't say that Monday at noon I was wowed, but I would think that it would be fine for you to call me blessed. Won't you be blessed by this table? The truth is, you're invited. You're an invited guest. Won't you accept the invitation?